go to Nehemiah chapter 2. Continue going through the book of Nehemiah. So just a reminder of where we left off last week. So we have Nehemiah. He is the king's cupbearer. And he gets word from Jerusalem that basically uh, things aren't good there. The walls are broken down. The people are, are a reproach. And this greatly upset him. And he made a prayer to God. He's confessing the sins of his people. He understood why they were in the mess they were in. And in this chapter, we're going to see him uh, try to do something about it. He's going to try to help uh, be a solution to the problem. But of course, there's going to be opposition. And there's uh, a lesson that we need to get from this. Uh, first off, one of the problems that Israel had is they were often thinking if God would just do X, Y, and Z, then everything would just be great and wonderful. And a lot of Christians have that same attitude today. Well, the thing is God would do X, Y, and Z, but God doing a work is not something that he does so we can just forget about him. You know, God wants to do a work in our life because God wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to walk with us. He wants us depending on him. So, you know, the, the simple fact is many people, they think that if I get if I'm right with God, I won't have any problems. I won't have any opposition. That's wrong. If you're right with God, you're still going to have opposition. You're still going to have trials, but God will be with you. And what we see uh, in the in the stories of Ezra and Nehemiah during that time era, Israel is kind of in the state where they're just asking God why he's not reviving them, why he's not doing all these things. And God had done all these things, but they wanted God to just provide things for them so they could just go live according to the desires of their heart. And we've got to get over that mentality. Many Christians have that same mentality that just, you know what, I got saved, I started going to church, and I still had challenges in my life. It's like, yeah, well, you'd have had challenges if you hadn't gotten saved. You'd have had challenges if you didn't go to church. But you know what? Now that you're saved and you're doing what God wants you to do, God can help you through those things. But you've got to stay close to Him. So keep that in mind as we go through this because it's just an important lesson we're going to see throughout this book. But in verse 1, it says, And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of our desert, sees the king, that, uh, that wine was before him. And I took the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before a time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad? seeing thou art not sick. This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was sore afraid. So, you know, when uh, Nehemiah is standing before the king, serving the king, you know, it's his job to take care of the king, not bring attention to himself. That's not what a good servant does. And so when he's there, all of sad countenance and everything, and then the king notices that he thinks, I'm in trouble. You know, I'm, and he's sore afraid during this time. But fortunately for him, it would appear this king cared about him and was compassionate. Because, again, normally people don't want to be brought down by someone's negative emotions when they're doing a job. Okay, It's not really... I mean, listen, we're all going to have negative emotional times, but sometimes there's a job to do, and you don't need to be distracting everyone with that. You know, When you work a job somewhere and you're having a tough time at home, you don't need to take that to work and bring everyone down and cause production to be halted because you're just having, you know, a tough time emotionally. I know this is 2023, and, you know, when we all are allowed to get mental health days uh, with full pay, you know, and with time and a half, 
and all that. But that's not how things are normally supposed to be. You know, normally it's like, hey, I don't care what you got going on at home. You're getting paid to work. Do your job. And uh, it's it's nice if you have a boss that is compassionate and caring and sees that you're struggling and maybe is willing to help you out. And so Nehemiah, he was fortunate that he was probably a good servant. This wasn't something that he normally did. Okay? Now, maybe your boss gets mad at you for bring, you know, wearing your emotions on your sleeve because you do it every day. You know, every, every week, every month, you've got a new crisis that everyone has to deal with. And so, you know, just, just remember, folks, we only have so many bad day cards that we're allowed to play in life. Y'all understand that? You only have so many of those cards. And the more rare you use them, the more powerful they are in the game of life. Okay, so the, the tears, the tears are powerful, but they can lose their power if you use them every day. You know, then it's just like, oh, look, this person's upset again. You know, wow, big surprise. You know, so uh, the, the more rare, the, the more powerful. So save that power, use it wisely. All right, and, that, and that's another lesson for another day. But it says, uh, and, the, and said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city... The place of my father's sepulchers lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. And so not only was this sad for his sake and Jerusalem's sake, but the fact that Jerusalem had people working against them was actually against the law that had been put out by Cyrus. Because remember, Cyrus, years before, he had commissioned them to go back and rebuild the temple. And then then if you remember Ezra, that got challenged. Cyrus is off the scene, and then you had... I think Darius, I forgot who it was, that that came on the scene and they went and checked the records. And sure enough, they are supposed to be doing this work. Not only are we going to help them, not only are we going to fund it, but if anybody messes with them, they're going to be in trouble. Their house is going to be made a dunghill. So the fact is, this opposition that Israel was dealing with, not only was it just against Israel and against the work of the Lord, this was actually against the law of the land. So when Nehemiah is upset here, he is upset because justice is not being done. And, and Nehemiah, they had a system where Nehemiah had some sort of expectation of justice. It's like that in America today. We still have, as goofed up as our country is, some expectation of justice. We, we understand there are certain things that we've lost. We understand there are certain things that are, are gone uh, in our country. But, then, but at the same time, too, there's still areas where we have a certain level of expectation. And, and so whenever, um, you know, we're not getting that justice that we expect, you know, we should be upset about it. We ought to be able to say something about it. And so what Nehemiah is bringing up here is completely legitimate because it, a, a good king is going to want to know if laws are being violated because this king wants justice. And there are, we have many of our leaders today I just don't think they want to hear about it. They don't. They don't care. They don't want to deal with it. But if you have, uh, if you have a leader who cares about justice, they want to know if injustice is being done. If we have a good police chief here in town, and he he wants to know if some of his police are violating the law and abusing their authority, that's what a good police chief is going to want to do. And so, but if he's an evil one and doesn't care, you know, eventually we can come to the point where we just don't expect any kind of justice around here anymore. And that's not good when that kind of thing happens. And we're getting that way in our country. To where, I mean, how many of y'all are expecting everything to go smoothly and fairly in the next election? Not me. 
You know, and I'm not, I'm not expecting that at all. And that's sad when we get to that point. But, uh, there was, but at the same time, Nehemiah expected some good here. And so it says, then the king said unto me, for what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said unto the king, if it please the king and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou would send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. And so Nehemiah, he wasn't just complaining that the work wasn't getting done, but he was willing to make sure the job did get done. And so when he's telling the king to send him, understand he would be going with authority. He would be going, you know, from, you know, with the authority of the king and he's able to go and say, hey, I'm here. I've been, I was sent by Artaxerxes. I've got authority. Y'all better not mess with us. Y'all better, uh, you know, do what I say. And so in verse six, and the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, for how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me and I set him a time. Now, I can't prove this, but many people believe that Artaxerxes and Ahasuerus uh, were the same person, which if, that, if that's true, it's very likely the queen that was sitting there who might have had some influence on her husband, probably did have some influence on her husband, well, could have been Esther. So, I uh, don't, know, don't know for sure about that. Uh, I looked at some different things about that, and I guess Artaxerxes, I think, is... Um, I forgot what language they use that name. And so a lot of times in the Bible, you'll see names that are very different because it depended on what language it was coming from. It's kind of like how it is even still today um, where you know we pronounce things a certain way or even spell things a certain way depending on the language. And so um, I don't know for sure that that's the case, but it is, it's very possible. So verse 7, Moreover, I said unto the king, if it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And the letter uh, unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. So all these things that he asked for, they were, they were just the original things that Cyrus ordered that they get. And so Nehemiah, he did, he's not trying to be a big baby here because things aren't going well. He's trying to get justice. That's all, that's all he's asking for. Okay. And that's, that's all we asked for in 2020. That, hey, can we just follow the first amendment? Can, can we just do that? Is that okay? That's what churches were fighting for whenever they were, they were getting all the persecution during that time. Hey, can we just get what the constitution calls for? You know, if you have to go to court for something, is it too much to ask for a speedy trial by a jury of your peers instead of these long, drawn-out things that take years sometimes to get settled? I don't think it's too much if we as Americans say, hey, can we get some of these things that the Bill of Rights guarantees? We're not whining when we do that, okay? We're not, you know, we're not like these libtards out there begging for welfare that the Constitution never guaranteed, Okay, they think pursuit of happiness is being able to go to the government and get everything that they want to make them happy. Uh, that's not what I was talking about. That just means the government's not going to interfere with your pursuit of happiness. And instead, the government, government's interfering with all our pursuits of happiness by taking everything that, that we have. So don't get me going on the government. That's not so much what this is about. But that, this is what's happening, though. This is what Nehemiah is asking for. He's, he's asking for justice, even according to their law, 
because everything that he's trying to get accomplished is stuff that the previous kings had ordered be accomplished and that nobody messed with them, but that's not what's happening. Now, a lot of what was going on, it was, it was Judah's fault. It was Israel's fault. They were just being pathetic and lazy. But at the same time, too, they did have opposition. And it's the same thing, too. When, when you get saved, and, or you know, if, if you're saved and you decide, I'm going to start serving God. If you do not serve God, it's your fault. You are in disobedience. But at the same time, I would say probably 95% of Christians who are being disobedient to God, they have an excuse. Somebody hurt my feelings. Somebody offended me. Somebody did this to me. Somebody sinned against me. Well, hey, welcome to life. In life, everybody gets sinned against all the time. It stinks. It's not fair. We don't like it. You don't have to enjoy it. But it's not an excuse to not do what God said. And God told Israel to go back and build that temple and to build those walls. And But then opposition would come and they'd be like, oh, I guess we're done. No, that's not how that works. You keep doing it. Yeah, but what if these people attack? Well, then you know what? Fight. And God will be with you. And God will give you victory. God never promised no opposition. So, uh, verse 9, Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. And notice what it says. It grieved them exceedingly that somebody cared about Israel. And it wasn't even just that somebody had good feelings towards them. This is somebody who has some authority. This is somebody who has the ability to do something because they hated Israel. They hated the people of God. They hated the work of God that they were trying to accomplish. And so what do they, you know, whenever somebody comes to help with the backing of Artaxerxes, they are grieved exceedingly. They don't want to see this happen. And there there will always be evil men who just can't stand seeing good things happen to someone. You want to know a way you can make some enemies? Just succeed. You know, like good things happen to you and it will bother people greatly because there are just evil people out there. And everyone might as well just settle it right now and come to grips with the fact if we do anything for God, if God blesses us, there will be Sambalats and Tobias out there running their mouth. These guys, they, they, were, they were trolls, you could say, back then. We're always going to have the scorners. And the Bible uses the term scorner a lot. When I read about scorners, we're going to look at some passages on that in a little bit. I think of trolls. Okay? We talk a lot about trolls on the Internet today. People that just, for whatever reason, hate you and troll you and just say things at you all the time. And it's just like, hey, sometimes it's like, why do you care? You know, and that, that happens to me regularly. And I, I should understand this because, you know, I, I do have an online ministry. I put a lot of stuff online that does influence people. But it's still weird to me when just like random people will just surface on social media or whatever that just hate my guts. And I have no idea who these people are. And I'm just like, why do you hate me so much? But the reality is they've probably been watching what I'm doing. And so there, there, there's a preacher on Twitter that lately I've been kind of getting entertained by, but this guy just hates my guts. A Baptist preacher. And he just does not, and I'm just like, what is this guy's problem? And so I went and I listened to some of his preaching, and it was pretty funny. I mean, this guy, 
knows no Bible. I mean, literally, I went to, I, he, he's always preaching through chapters. And you know how I preach through a chapter and I try to show the interpretation first and then make application, which, you know, we're doing that in this one. This guy only does application. And so I saw where he did a couple of tough chapters, like Ezekiel 37, and he did a sermon on revival. It's like, really? I mean, he, he did not even try to touch the interpretation of it. He did another one. Um, oh, I forgot what it was. It was a prophetic passage. Oh, let's see what he has to say about prophecy because he hates what I preach about prophecy. Sermon had absolutely nothing to do with prophecy. Just kind of took a line from there, ran with it, life application. And so, you know, I, I, I'm guessing because then I looked and I saw the area that he lives and I know there's a bunch of people in that area that listen to me. And so I'm wondering if they went to his church <laughs> and, uh, at one time and, uh, and he's associated me with them. That's what I'm kind of wondering. But it's just like the guy's just out there trolling me all the time. And, and fortunately, I, I find this stuff entertaining. But these kind of trolls they had, it would sometimes get physical. Okay? It would literally get physical sometimes. And that, that's going to happen. Some people just hate the good. And so verse 11 says, So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days, and I arose in the night. I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, neither was there any beast with me save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain, and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did. Neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire, Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. And so it was as if the Jews were satisfied with the fact that they had the temple. It's like, well, we got the temple. Who cares if the rest of the city is a dump? Who cares if the walls are broken down? Who cares that we're a reproach? But listen, God wanted more for them. God had provided more for them. But they just didn't seem to care. And this would cost them greatly in the future. And it's like a lot of people, they're happy to just, oh, I'm saved. Who cares about my temple? You know, who cares about improving myself? God sees my heart. Yeah, well, the problem is we're also seeing your heart too. It's reflecting on the outside and what you're doing with your temple. And you know what? Understand, if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit, you can have victory over sin. And you know, it, and it bothers me when you have people that are saved, and I believe they're saved, but they just give themselves over to the things of the flesh. And then teach other people to do the same thing. We have more and more Christians that are apparently saved, pre-tried on grace and salvation and all that, but then it's like, hey, you know, it's not about work, so let's all go get tatted up and start drinking and doing every bit of debauchery the world does. No, that you don't have to be doing that stuff. Don't let... Don't, you know, don't just go defiling the house of God. You, we don't need to be that way. And God did, God cared about these things and they were, they, they were a reproach. And when Christians do that the kind of thing, when they act that way, they are a reproach to the cause of Christ. It's not right. 
And so, verse 18 says, Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, and also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye will do? Will ye rebel against the king? Then I answered, then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build, but ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. And I want to point out a few things that they did, because these guys are. They're like the original trolls. Okay? And we have these people today. And notice what it says that they did. First off, they laughed at them. Okay? Now, nobody likes being laughed at. Nobody likes being scorned. They laughed us to scorn. Okay, these guys, they're scorners. That's what the troll, we call them trolls today. But if we wanted to get biblical, what we would typically call these people are scorners. Their purpose is to mock, so to shame us. That's what they want to do. They want to, they want to shame you because you know what? It's in all of us to want to be liked. Do we not all want acceptance? Do we all not want, just naturally want approval? Most of us do. And, and, you know, people thrive off that. And some, that's why people do some of the weird things that they do in society and get some of the weird hairdos and clothing styles is because that's what appears to be socially acceptable during this time. And people want to, they want to be accepted. They don't want to be, they don't want to stand out. They don't want someone to look at them funny. And you got to watch out because many people, they literally allow society to paralyze them with their thoughts. I mean, I just, I refuse to give people that control that where, you know, in their mind, just from a look they give me, uh, you know, a face they make, laughing or whatever, that it's going to influence what I do. We should not be ashamed. And you know what? Say, well, I can't help it. I'm embarrassed. But you know what? The Bible tells us a lot of times we're not supposed to be ashamed. Let no man despise you. You know, let no man despise thy youth. Say, well, people despise my youth. What is it saying? It's saying, you know, we've got to figure out a way to eliminate these people's opinions. No, you just don't let it influence you. And that's where we're at today. I, I don't know why people aren't getting nervous too. I've been hearing a lot of Republicans pushing censorship big time lately. And it's because public opinion is not going, you know, the way they want it to towards Israel. And so now Republicans and conservatives and Baptists are all for censorship, which I think it just shows the hypocrisy but, but either way, listen, it doesn't matter. You, you know, it doesn't matter what people think. We have to do the right thing no matter what. And so these men, they laughed us to scorn, trying to bring that shame. And what, look, look at us. It says they did. They despised us. Okay? Now again, how is it that somebody's just negative thoughts towards you can affect you? And again, it's because when we're hated, often people assume there must be something wrong with you. And so it is. It's one more way to kind of be ashamed. And one of the things that, uh, one of the reasons everybody's calling for censorship again, I don't know if you all heard about this, but TikTok, which, you know, TikTok is just the sewage, it's the sewage of social media. All right. It's the sewer, I guess you could say, of social media, in my opinion. All right? I, I just, it, the gayness that is on there, I, I, I can't handle it. But anyway, um, there was a stuff from Bin Laden from 20 years ago 
that everybody was sharing and liking it, which was the problem. <laughs> you know, they're like, what's TikTok doing with these algorithms to make this stuff? And it's like, no, people were just liking it. That, that's why people were liking it, sharing it. That's how the algorithms work. And those videos were performing well, and therefore they were automatically being pushed out more. Okay. You know, conservatives, they don't, they don't, they just don't know anything anymore. It's like their brains have all fallen out in the last year or so. I don't, I don't know what's going on, but here, here's the, here's the problem. I remember 20 years ago, there was, there was a segment of people that were bringing up all the reasons that the terrorists attacked the 9-11. Now, listen, I don't care what our country's ever done. I don't care who our country's ever supported. That's not how you deal with things, going and flying airplanes into buildings and killing thousands of civilians. That's wrong. But that's also who those people are. Okay? That's who the Bin Laden, that's, that's who the Bin Ladens are. But if you remember that time too, one of the things that we were told is they attacked us because they hate America. They hate our freedom. Which makes all of us, by the way, who were alive then, some of y'all weren't alive yet, that makes us official 9-11 survivors. Because they were uh, attacking America because they hate Americans and they hate our freedom. And we survived the 9-11 attacks. So we're all 9-11 survivors. And um, I, even more so, because I was in New York City on April of 2001. So um, I feel especially close to that situation. So nobody ever questioned anything about 9-11 because I'm a survivor and I'm offended. Uh, but, 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 <laughs> but either way, okay, either way, they did, they, they, there was a lot of hatred for America. Okay? There, there was a lot, there, there's always going to be people that hate you. And people fear that. And so we did. We had a bunch of people during that time. It's like, why do the Muslims all hate us? There must be something wrong with us. And isn't that what... And, and I, I remember when all that was going on and everybody was just like, how dare you think that way? And now we're seeing the same thing too. It's like, well, why do the Palestinians hate Israel so much? You know, and we're not allowed to ask why. I'm not saying it's ever justified. You know, it's ever fully justified. I'm just saying, no, there's reasons people hate. And when that happens... It does. It brings shame. It, it's something that kind of brings reproach. And it is. It's, it's an embarrassing thing. And nobody likes it. And it is. It, it's a powerful influence. And so these people, that was one of the things they did. They're spreading hate for the people of Israel. People sh shouldn't have cared that Israel's rebuilding their temple and rebuilding their walls. But the simple fact is, they just hated them. And the Bible doesn't even really you know, give the detailed reasons. I think it goes, probably goes back to what we saw in Ezra when they got shut down from helping and participating and all that kind of stuff. I don't know for sure how connected these people were, but either way, they, they used laughter. They, they despised them. And then too, they started questioning their motives. They said, will you rebel against the king? You guys are obviously planning something. Okay. And just to, a way to throw shade on. And people do the same thing with us. You know, because they don't like our views about the sodomites and things like that, they're always like, you know, putting it out there like we're out there trying to just, you know, go kill a bunch of people. And it's like, it's the furthest thing from the truth. But yet, people put it out there and then others will hear it. And this is why they do it. They want others to hear all this negative that's coming our way. And that way, they'll be like, oh, I don't want to be associated with those people. That's... And that's the whole point. 
because these people are just evil. They have an evil agenda. And so let's look at just, I'm just going to show you two scriptures about scorners because I believe that's exactly who these people were. And scorn, the definition of scorn means extreme contempt, that, uh, that disdain which springs from a person's opinion of the meanness of an object, a consciousness or belief of his own superiority or worth. And Psalms 1.1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Scorn, scorners are not blessed people. Scorners are not happy people. If you are that scorner, if you're somebody who just sits around to despise, if you're somebody who you get your pleasure from seeing negative things happen to other people, you will always be a miserable person. Let me tell you something. Other people's happiness should bring us happiness. But when other people's happiness brings you sorrow, you're in a really bad spot. You really need to get your heart right with God. And it goes on to say, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law that you meditate day and night. So you're not going to be blessed. You're not going to be happy. If you, if you, uh, if it brings you sorrow when good things are happening to other people. And then when you, and if you're that person too, that's like that, when you see good things happening to other people, that's when you're going to be even more motivated to say things against them. Because it does, it's like them, it grieved their hearts to see good things happening in Jerusalem. In Proverbs 24, 9, it says, The thought of foolishness is sin, and the scorner is an abomination to men. So not only do scorners hate everything that's better than them, or even just perceived as better than them, but nobody likes the scorner. And which is why they need to bring everyone down. And, the, again, these are not friendly people. These are not happy people. And that's who, that's the kind of people that they were dealing with. But here's what's sad about this story. We all like to go and talk about how bad Sam Ballant and Tobiah and these guys all were. But here's the thing that's sad is those guys for years had actually succeeded in stopping the work of the Lord. Thankfully, Nehemiah's come along during this time and he's finally ready to stand up to these guys. He's finally ready to stand up to the scorners. But multiple times since Israel has been restored to the land, what do we see? We see the work stopping just because of verbal opposition. It never got physical in Ezra. It hasn't gotten physical in Nehemiah. There was a threat of it. And Christians too are often just stopped dead in their tracks because of the possibility of some kind of opposition. That is not good. We've got people that are, uh, that are uh, a lot of preachers that don't want to preach the truth because they're afraid of trolls. There's people out there, they ought to be using the megaphone of the internet to get their word out, but they're afraid they'll attract the attention of trolls. And it's like success always brings the trolls. And in, in other countries, and I, I don't like to pick on people in other countries, but it's like that today where there's certain countries you can go to and you can be a missionary and they'll leave you alone until you start succeeding in converting people. And it's just like, it's like, you know, what's the point if you're not allowed to succeed <laughs> when you're over there? But that's just, that's how it is in a lot of places. And so we never want to let the scorners, never let the trolls influence you. Let's keep doing the right things. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this uh, lesson and the application we can make in our lives. And I pray you'll help us to never let people's thoughts 
uh, feelings or even their actions uh, influence away from your will. Help us to just be determined uh, and always move forward in all things. In your name we pray. Amen.